Welcome back. It is another movie discussion night. Uh, we've kind of taken the episode n- numbers out of this. It's just a discussion. It's part of many moving things we have on the channel. Uh, but yeah, uh, how you doing, buddy? It's been a few days. Man, it's 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 been busy, but um, it was nice actually seeing a Quiet Place Part Two like once again in theaters and Censor, which I'd heard about but never had the time to watch. And now I did. Yeah. It's been a... Mr. Fancy Pants, going to the theater and seeing movies. Psh, who does that anymore? What's a movie theater? Yeah. It's some outdated venue where apparently you have to pay overpriced one-time use vouchers to actually see a movie. Um, yeah, we. I think we owe money to Red Letter Media now uh, for that one. But, uh, yeah, so I watched both Quiet Places. And censored today. So my brain is still a little fuzzy because, like, information overload. Um, Not a lot of news this week. However, I don't know if you saw, but I did play the Back for Blood beta on the channel. And I think that's going to be a promising game for multiplayer because it's completely cross-play. And it's just left for dead, but with modern sensibilities. I'm really excited uh, for the full release. Could be a good thing. Yeah. Uh, if you guys are curious about how the game went, feel free to watch it. I did leave that stream up on the channel. It's about a two-hour stream. Um, forgive me for being, like, half-dead in it. I had been up since 6 a.m., but I think I did okay other than stupid mistakes because I was tired. Uh, so, yeah, I think we're just going to jump into it today. Um, I guess the other announcement we do want to make is Milton and I are going to record a Friday the 13th commentary this Monday. And it will be up for Friday the 13th. If anybody doesn't know, I am a huge uh, fan of the Friday the 13th franchise. And Milton, you've never seen the original Friday the 13th, right? No, John, I haven't. But I'm looking forward to it. Um, I understand that the first one doesn't exactly set all the the precedents for the franchise that, like, Part 2 set. But it'll be good, at least seeing where things began. So, just out of curiosity, then, how much do you know about the first Friday the 13th? I understand that the first one, the mother of Jason, oh. is the main villain. So, okay. I know I know that. Um, Damn. Yep. That's one uh, of those twists I feel like everyone knows, but then I'll come across the commentary or, like, a review of it, and they didn't know the twist. Well, well John, you, had, you also had me listen to Ice <laughs> Nine Kills as well, so, yeah. I mean, I would know it just by that as well. Yeah. But yeah, I'm excited. Um, I'm going to rewatch it before the commentary. You can if you want to, or you don't have to. It's up to you. Um, but yeah, look for that next Friday. It will be scheduled. That is not going to be done live. I've been interested in doing just more pre-recorded content um, as well, you know. Um, and now that I know you're off Mondays, maybe we can do more stuff on Monday evenings. Um but yeah, uh, we're just going to jump straight into the movies. Milton, I'd actually like to start with Censor. Instead of A Quiet Place, release dates are so close to each other, I don't think it really matters to do it by release date. Um, what the hell did I just watch? Sir, you watched a psychological thriller about a woman involved in the censorship industry, um, You know, mandated by law in the UK to basically cut and recut certain movies that 
apparently like don't exactly meet the social guidelines of what movies are supposed to be uh, back in the back in the day um she basically has deep family trauma it kind of comes to the surface as her as tensions rise in her job and eventually she becomes what she hates because of the darkness that lays inside of her okay i wasn't even joking about that i legitimately had no idea how to like what to make of this movie once it ended so but let me ask you this because i i got i was thinking this did you get in the mouth of madness vibes from this movie a little bit yeah a little um you definitely like as soon as they talked about trauma and how the brain can rewrite how one processes things or remembers things or whatnot i knew i know because that's a story device i have to immediately question everything that's going on in perception and especially towards the end, you know that things are not as they appear to be. Mm-hmm. It's inside the character's head quite a bit. Yeah. So, but, yeah. But there's like have... little pieces here and there that hint that nothing's quite right up there. Okay. Yeah, this is definitely a movie that made me question how much of it was real. Much, um, and I said, you know, I got in the mouth of madness vibes. I think this is a lesser. It's not as well done as that movie. I know I liked that movie quite a bit more than you, but I feel like parts of it were rushed because you've got this slow buildup like in the first half, right? And then there's the moment where the light flip, light switch like flips and then you're just thrust into an entirely new status quo. And that's when it really gets weird, right? Like you can't tell what's the movie, what's real life. Well, it, it's it's tough to judge because it's about... It's not quite supposed to be a crescendo. It's about the slow buildup of tension to see when a person finally snaps. And then once the snap happens, then things would normally be fast-paced. Now, mm, is it a satisfying conclusion? Mm. It kind of goes a bit with the heavy-handedness of what they're trying to say. Granted, a message I agree with, but, I mean, depends on how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, folks... I think for both of us, this is first impressions. Like, I've only seen this movie once. I literally just ended it at 5.50. Um, yeah, I I, I kind of wish this movie had been a little longer to flesh out her breaking point more. Because that first half was this really well-paced psychological horror. Um, you know, she's starting to unravel. But then it just seems like we don't get a breaking point. It's just we skip the breaking point and go straight to she's broken. And also I wondered how much were the actors and the like per- director of this movie that they're making in on it? Because they all think that she's Anna Lee, but Anna Lee is already there. It, uh, Alice Lee. Alice Lee. Sorry. Yeah. Alice Lee. No, no problem. Close enough. Um, It's tough because you're definitely, in a psychological horror or thriller, you, a lot of the stuff that goes on in the character's head usually manifests in some way in the diegetic world. Within this one, we get, we get a bit of that, but yeah, I think it would have been nice if we got like a little more in terms of where she was slowly unraveling, perhaps even in the midst of the scene. Um, I think though, it's not as if we don't get anything 
Um, we definitely get this whole um, theming of basically being so into the movie, into your own head, that eventually you just you can't escape it. Which kind of goes in the theme of like, are the video nasties a good influence or a bad influence, or are they neither? And it just depends on the person. Yeah. So it's not as if we can't see what the movie is, understand what the movie is trying to say, but in how well it says it. Uh, I guess we should start at the beginning. Um, this is obviously, and this is what intrigued me about this movie. I heard about this on Twitter about this film and I wanted, and when we started scheduling things out in advance, I was like, Oh, I, you know, I really want to cover this movie. Uh, this takes place in the eighties in England during the, you know, now famous video nasty era. Um, it was uh, 1985 in the, uh, in the movie specifically. So like right in the heart of all. Oh, did they give a specific time? Okay. Yeah. I must have missed that. But, uh, Milton, how much do you know about that whole era other than just, I think that we mentioned it, you know, in passing? Uh, we mentioned it briefly. Um, basically, for the context, um, around this time, we had the VHS era was erupting. A lot of people, basically, they wanted their 15 minutes of fame, and they a lot of people were making movies, amateur, professional, or otherwise. And basically... The horror market was one of the easiest things to gain people's attention back then. You could make like a romance movie, but it probably would not have been as marketable or eye-catching as like um, Han- Cannibal Holocaust, for instance. Um, that definitely, I think, would gain more attention. And it worked for marketing, especially. And of course, you had the parents and the religious groups at the time on the much more conservative side, like saying this is going to be about an influence, it's going to corrupt our children, it's going to cause violence and whatnot, all contributing to some hysteria. Um, you had a lot of films, both light and material and much darker, that all were like getting severe cuts. Some movies weren't going to get shown in theaters at all, um, despite supposed freedom of the press. But then again, that's more of an American ideal than this British one. You have some of it in print, but not as much in America. But even in America, video nasties were that whole hysterical thing was still going on. But it was much worse in print. Um, And yeah, they would recut films if they would even accept them into theaters. Because things were um, highly regulated back then. It's not as bad now. There's still some of it going on. um, But it was much worse back then. We covered a video nasty last week. Uh, yeah. The Evil Dead. Um, also, The Exorcist was also technically a video oh, nasty. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, obviously, we're not here to discuss where we sit on the whole censorship thing. Um, but I've I've always found that thing, that like era fascinating because it never really ended, right? We just moved on from horror movies to the 90s. It was the like the metal, you know, Marilyn Manson and all that stuff. D&D um, and, well, yeah. D&D was also in the 80s, too, so that kind of never exactly left, but it's def- definitely diminished. But I, I agree with you that a horror movie was going to sell more uh, than, like, a romance movie in the 80s because controversy sells. It's always been that way. Um, but, yeah, so our main character, um, what's her name? <laughs> her name is Enid Baines. Enid She's got the most just, like, 80-year-old name. 
<laughs> yeah, no, she she is purposely looked to be like conservative woman. She she dressed very modestly to the point where she's she looks like like not even a housewife, but like one of those that that stereotypical look of like the woman in that committee with the it, glasses that are bounded. <laughs> it almost felt like her character design and name were out of a funnier film, where, you know, more of a satirical horror. Yeah. Uh, then something as dark and serious as this, but we also lose that look very fast in this movie. True, it, it's like a gradual detransformation, um, which might have been part of the point. You know, show that she's up and like kind of uptight and like put together, and as she devolves, basically yeah, unravels. She's unravels. That she has problems. Um. Yeah. And then yeah, the other movie I th- I noticed this is kind of taking some ideas from as well is uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. I don't know if you've seen that, but one of the central ideas in that movie is we need a, a, a medium to unleash our darkness so that we don't unleash it on other people, as well as making these these movies keeps. And New Nightmare is a little more fantasy than this, right. uh, but New Nightmare is also. He's making these movies to keep the demon that is, that is like real life Freddy Krueger at bay, but is also using it to help people like control their dark side, uh, which I think is it's mentioned in this movie, but it's not really the point of this movie. Um, but yeah, she she edits movies, you know, and kind of decides what's unrealistic enough to be put in home media and what's too realistic. Uh, and I kind of found it funny where she's like barter, you know, like debating people. Oh, you know, this looks too goofy. We can put this out, but this looks too realistic. I'm cutting it. Uh, and she has this motto of, I have to be perfect. Um, and then I guess, I think the idea is right that she lets a movie get released. And then this guy goes and kills people and forgets it. And they blame pe- They try to blame the movie. And then she starts getting phone calls, right? It's generally assumed that this movie, because of its a face-eating scene, essentially, is in this um, movie. And basically, the the killer eats the face of a victim, and people think, oh, this movie got released recently, therefore, false correlation, because apparently the guy didn't even see the movie. I love how that pays off, by the way, that he never yeah. even seen the movie. Uh, I think this movie is definitely has some stuff to say about the censorship of the 80s. Uh, which I appreciated. And it's not, that's probably the most subtle stuff, right? Because you blink and you could miss that whole, like, payoff to that subplot, I think. But this movie is much more about trauma and repressed trauma. Um, I think my issue is, I still don't know what actually happened to the sister. I I don't, I, I like to give benefit of the doubt and say it's not too important. At the same time, it is a question. Um, the thing is, I think what the movie is trying to do is, with with the question that we have, it's lurking in her mind as well. And she wants to connect this unknown to something that she feels she can tackle. It's like the idea of wanting to attach the evil in the world to video nasties. We don't know exactly what or why evil occurs, so we want to blame it on something that we feel we have control over. 
So I think that's what the movie is trying to do. Of course, as a moviegoer, yeah, we want to know the answer. So take what you I want. Just, I think if this movie is going to be about confronting trauma, which I think is what I latched onto the most, is this character just wants to know like what happened to her sister. I need to know why she feels guilty. And I need to know what happened so I can understand the character's point of view. But at the same time, with the ending, I don't know if you had this. Now I don't know how much of that was real. Oh, I'm I'm fairly sure everything that looks great in the whole video nasty thing, like all video nasties have been eliminated. It's like I'm fairly sure everything in that filter is fake. She is like completely snapped by that. Well yeah, I mean that stuff, but how much of the early stuff is part of this quote movie that because you know the ending is the videotape censored? How much of that stuff was real and how much of it was fake? That's that's a question. I don't know. <laughs> and maybe and I think in some ways I'm willing to be forgiving of the movie for this and say, you know what, I don't know, and that is okay. Yeah. But, you know, that's me. Um... Yeah, and I mean, part of it with me as well is I hate open endings. Like, I like answers. Um, but I will say, this is a well-made film. It looks beautiful. Uh, there's certain shots that look amazing. And when we get to the part where it's like half movie, half movie within a movie, I love how accurately they kind of recreate that 80s feel. It's oh, probably yeah. some of the best of that that I've seen of these. We're nostalgic for the 80s, although this movie's not really nostalgic, if so to speak. It's um, critical in both ways. Um, like you, you have like the sleazy director of like the of like this facet of the movie. You have the other guy who's just really dedicated to the craft. It kind of shows that there is something grimy and disgusting to a certain extent about at least some of these movies. And at the same time, you see, you know, just general to uptightishness and naivete from the other side. So, you know, it, it's like taking a bit of a. Sat- dark satirical look over it what's you know what happened during that time yeah yeah i agree um so overall how did you feel about this movie we talked about the plot but not so much how it felt well um i'm having up on it um i i wonder sometimes if maybe i just i like too much of a mystery, and I feel like if things are explained to me and hammered over the head, I feel a little not as nice towards it. Because I mean, what it's very clear to me what the movie is saying. Um, is that a bad thing? It might just be personal taste. But you're you're right. I do think that the ending was a bit. Uh, Would have been nice to get some more development. I think in like the like the stretch before getting to the trailer. Make things be a little more properly explained about what's going on inside of her head. Um, I don't know. I did still like it though. I like the effects. I liked the commitment to the um, to the style of the video nasty. Um, it was. It really did feel like just looking at one of those films again. Yeah. Which honestly is was probably the main goal all along. I have to give credit to what they were doing. So. I think I did end up liking it. I'm not sure who I would watch it with though, because it's like it's like a very it's like a select niche inside of a niche. So it have to you'd have to watch like 
this would be a fun movie to do a commentary on as well, right? Because, like, speaking for myself, at least, as someone who loves that 80s horror feel and, like, a lot of those video nasties are very much my my style. Um, I like this movie quite a bit. However, I am someone who I don't need the themes of the movie to explain to me, but I need characters to be properly fleshed out. Unless it's something like a Friday the Thirteenth, where I'm just there for the kills, right? So I don't feel like I understand Eden, Eden, Enid enough, yeah, to fully enjoy this movie. If her main motivation is that she feels bad over her sister, I need me personally, I need to know what happened to the sister. I don't need a long, you know, drawn out flashback, but maybe like a line of dialogue. All we know is that Enid took her somewhere. Uh, where? What happened? Like, I need more than just, oh, you took her somewhere. <laughs> like, what'd she do? Take her out in the woods and shoot her? <laughs> or did she get killed with an axe? Or Yeah. I mean, the parents say, yeah, she's dead. Okay, thanks. Could you, could, could the main character come to that realization? But maybe she doesn't want to. And maybe because of that, the movie doesn't want us to come to a conclusion either. So, See, and I'm fine with her not believing it because that's also part of her arc is she's unraveling because she refuses to believe that her sister is dead. Uh, and she watches this movie. Um, what was the name of that movie? Something Church. Don't go to church. Don't go into church. Something. Uh, and she's convinced that this actress is actually her sister. Uh, and everybody thinks she's nuts. I'm pretty sure the sister's not the like that actress is not her sister. Uh, I think that much might might be reality. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know what to make of some of the character stuff in this movie because. I don't know how how involved in her sister's disappearance Enid actually was. Yeah, it's like she feels guilty about it, but we don't really get details about why she would feel guilty. Mm-hmm. It's just the only thing the only thing we could get out of it is proximity to the event, but we don't even know exactly what the event was. I guess there is an implication that it was something like what the video nasty being filmed at the end is kind of like. Maybe that's enough. Maybe it isn't. I I don't know. We should also mention this movie is only like 85 minutes long. Yeah, it's short. Uh, It's very short and it's paced well. Like I was never like, can we, can we like move on now, please? It, Um, It is Tastes like a video nasty, certainly. Kind of having a similar length of movies, of amateur movies like that. So, yeah. You know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's not a lot else to say. It's a very weird film, uh, very interesting. I would love to see more movies tackle horror movies about the video nasty era because it is such a, like, I think important time in horror history. Um, but yeah, and I I like how weird it is. I love how this movie looks. Um, but I think at the end of the day, for me personally, this is a three point five. Uh, not everything yeah. fully comes together. But it doesn't fail either. I don't. Think. No, absolutely not. Yeah. If it failed, it'd be like a two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I'll give it a three point five as well. Um. It could change, depending on rewatches. 
So it'd be, yeah. it'd be interesting to see who else might be interested in this sort of thing on the channel. So uh, let us know if um, if you guys want to watch this. Uh, let us know about your thoughts if you've already seen it. Yeah, we need to get Austin to watch this. I'm curious to hear his uh, yeah. opinion. I'd be fascinated to see what he thinks of this movie. But uh, yeah, so moving on uh, to the to a Quiet Place Part Two, or more, we have to be silent because there's spooky Stranger Things things after us. Uh, so Milton, you saw this in theaters. I've only watched this at home uh, because me personally, I don't care about the theatrical experience. I have a nice pair of headphones and a nice computer screen. I can I watch it at home. So what was your experience with this movie? Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's start with the plot synopsis like normal people. Uh, so this movie, obviously, it picks up right where the first one left off. Uh, and the Abbott family have to leave their farm and discover that the they're not the only people out there. That is the most generic sounding description of this movie, but it it's weirdly accurate, but also rises above how generic that sounds in a way, I think. Um, what did you, how was your experience in the theater with this movie? I liked it. Um, maybe perhaps, uh, so I'm looking back at my experience on part one. I felt that it was okay. Um, I could recognize its merits though, but I didn't feel like I was as engaged. Maybe the theater experience helped a bit with part two because I did feel engaged when I watched it for both the second and first and second times. So, um, I know I've always I've always wondered maybe it's the effect of everything being dark, so you you have to focus your interest in the experience you're watching with people. Mine help your and with if you're a certain type of person. Does that have to do with the quality? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but no, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Would I advocate for overpriced tickets? No, but that's a different issue. <laughs> yeah, I paid 20 bucks and I own this movie, so, you know. Um, yeah, I, so I thought the first one was a really fun concept. It wasn't something we'd really seen before. Uh, and it also helped that we were reviewing that with Bird Box, which was terrible. So I watched, like I mentioned at the beginning of the video, I watched both parts back to back. And I think these are about even uh, in terms of quality and story. I think this one well is well done in how it opens up the world. But I also think some of it's a little has been there, done that. And I had that a lot with this viewing because a lot of the first part when they're, you know, just leaving the house and they meet up with... Um, uh, Scarecrow, uh, Cillian Murphy, is him just talking about how like not everybody that's out there is good. And I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, I've seen I've seen like post-apocalyptic movies before. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> um, but I really liked how they split they split them off into two. There's two subplots to this movie, right? Once you get to the hideout that they're in, you get the subplot with. Uh, Scarecrow and the, the Deaf Girl, and then Emily Blunt and her son. And I think my biggest issue with this movie is that Emily Blunt's side quest in this movie is just that, a side quest. It does not progress the plot of this movie at all. The actual plot of this movie is with Scarecrow and the Deaf Girl. 
And it's really weird how in both of these movies, Emily Blunt has next to nothing to do to progress the main plot. She's just kind of there. She's good. Like, she's a great actress in these movies, but her character is not very important to either story. Yeah. Um, We should probably say the actor's real name. Um, Yeah, uh, Killian Murphy. Yeah, or Cillian Murphy. Let us know how to pronounce that in the comments below, because we're both idiots and don't know. <laughs> oh, I'll look it up. But it, but yeah, for those for those who have not seen um, Christopher Nolan's uh, Dark Knight trilogy, like any of them, the whole five which, of which, you, yeah, which yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Cillian Murphy, who has also appeared in other Christopher Nolan stuff. Yeah, it, it was cool seeing him because he's a good actor. Um, yeah, it's been a while since I've seen him in a movie. Okay, apparently it's Killian. Killian. So, Killian Murphy. Sounds he's right. great in this but movie. Yeah, he's Irish too. Yeah. Oh, is he? But, Interesting. Yeah. I've only ever heard him with an American or English accent. Well, he does a good job with masking it, I suppose. Yeah. But if you ever wanted to like wonder like how Irish he is, he has a spouse named Yvonne McGinnis. So, not making fun of the name too much, but it, it really does indicate the culture. Really funny. Yeah, but anyway, um, what was the question? Where were we? I was just saying, because I was just saying that Emily Blunt's in both of these movies just feels like a side plot to kind of pad out the time. Yeah. And everything else that's important is happening with the other character. And it's really weird how it's in both movies. Yeah, it... I mean, you want to get all the characters to do, like, something within the movie. It's better than them doing nothing. Um, the plot, like, justifies what she's doing. So what she's doing makes sense, and she tries to be as adaptable in the situation as she can be. Um, the problem is, a bit of the subplot revolves around the son's mistakes. By him kind of holding a bit of the family back and kind of causing some of the issues there. Granted, he does pull through at the end, but then you wonder, well, if he had just been a little bit more careful, none of this would have happened. Uh, well, but, but of course, I'm... is that fair to criticize? But you, you never want to empathize with someone like despite their mistakes as a movie character. So, Well, know. but you also have to take into consideration he's barely 10 years old. Sure. Like, sure. I don't know about you, but I was doing all sorts of dumb shit at 10 years old. Oh, yeah, no, it's not too much of a crit- critique. You just wonder, okay, I'm being bound to the situation because of the mistakes of the character. Regardless of it being 10 or not, do you empathize with the character? You know. To a certain degree, yes, because um, I think they're mindful how a 10-year-old would act minutes after, not minutes, but like hours after losing his father. Yeah. Um. That's fair. But yeah, I don't know. Personally, like, every time they'd cut back to Emily Blunt and uh, the kid... I'm sorry, I don't know your name, kid, but you're great in this movie. Don't don't get me wrong. I was just like, okay, can we get back to the main plot of this movie now? Like a sitcom. It's got, like, an A plot and a B plot. <laughs> um, shoot, what's his name? Uh, Noah Juppé. Oh, okay. Or, or Juppé. Probably Juppé, I think. Also, I think 
I don't know. After watching these back to back, I think this one also pushes the suspend your disbelief more than the first one does. I I hate to nitpick movies because uh, I usually like to take a movie on its own terms, but their solution to me seems very impractical. They're just gonna leave that that uh, hearing aid up on that radio tower and let it play constantly. Yeah, it's it's tough. Maybe maybe the idea is to put like certain radios at certain sections and create a perimeter. Okay, but. You and I, obviously, I've never had a hearing right. aid. But you also have to refill the batteries on these things. So, granted, some of these last for a while, but you need to find ways to resupply them. So that's that, that that's what I want part three to be about, the quest for e- hearing aid batteries. <laughs> well, no, I think it's because um, because there's, such, there's going to be um, a clock, essentially, until like the batteries run out. It's a good idea to try to figure out where the the source of where these creatures are coming from, find effective ways to like just purge them or something like that. It'd be nice for their for part three where the humans are going more on the offensive. I feel like that's where this plot would have to go if you wanted to do the sequel. I mean, that's what it would have to be, but I I worry about because this one, like I said, this one is already pushing the limits of my suspension of disbelief. Um with the hearing aid and well, mostly with, with their final solution, at least at the end of this movie, right? Because I can see it now. And I've seen, we've seen this happen in countless movies. You set up this threat because the first two movies set them up to be almost indestructible. And I think the idea is, is right. They've taken over like the entire world or at least the entire USA in a matter of what? Nine months to a year. No, it was 400, yeah, because I think in part one it says 470-some days later, which is like a year and a half. How are you going to explain to me that the U.S. government or these random civilians, if there isn't even a government left, or these random civilians suddenly came up with a way to kill these things for good? It's hard. It's hard to justify I can see now why Krasinski didn't want to do a sequel. Yeah, it's yeah, it it's definitely good sometimes to like leave well enough alone at a certain point. Just like give us a spark of hope to see where things could go in the future and let us um speculate on where things could go. If you play it out, you really need to plan things in advance and like Leave clues at the start to where you could go in the future and how things could shape up. Um, it's not like Lord of the Rings, for instance. We we definitely know what the end goal is at the like at the, during the first movie. It's all leading into each other. But the Quiet Place, you're not exactly sure where the end goal is specifically. You know what you probably might want to happen, but based on the limited resources of the characters, you're not sure of how much they they would be able to accomplish. So, it, are we just going to have to end part three in the ways we've done with part one and part two? Well, then maybe we might get a bit tired of these movies. If we're just... It's like trying to, re, trying to recreate Catching Lightning in a Bottle. It's not effective. I would, I would compare the first movie... To, I'm just going to use Halloween for an example because we're getting the like sixth Halloween too. 
Halloween is a very simple film that is more about the experience of watching it than the actual plot. It's fine. That's also what I feel the first A Quiet Place is about. It is about the experience. You've never seen anything quite like it with the, like the sound design and the and the you know short uh, and the ugh. and the whole gimmick was how they edited the sound to reflect what the characters are doing, right? But the story is not very deep and complicated. It's just a bunch of people hanging out on a phone. What do you do with a sequel? There's nothing to build on. Well, you just and you destroy the farm so to push them out and get them to explore more of the world. Great, but there's not a whole. There's still not a whole lot going on. In fact, nope. it seems like highly coincidental that a family friend that you guys happen to be close with happens to be close enough to you where you could actually encounter him and convince him, you know, to help. Who? What if they had encountered one of those savage people? Well, who we never meet, by the way. Oh, no, that's not true. I yeah. forgot about the boat scene. Yeah, the dock. Um, yeah. Um, it's just a good thing they had that conveniently timed flashback to show us that uh, Killian Murphy was in this movie before he became a main character. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, which the flashback was wonderful, by the way. It was good to see John Krasinski again. I wonder if he's shooting himself in the foot for killing his character. Because I feel like you only do that if you don't think you're going to do a second one. I think that was probably the original intention. But, I mean, you know, it is what it is. Because, I don't know, I I hate to sound mean, but when you bring in another male character who is basically the co-lead with Emily Blunt, it makes me wonder if you just distrust Emily Blunt's ability to carry the film on her own. Um, Say that necessarily. Um, maybe, but... Uh, I don't know. Just, maybe, and maybe I'm way off base here. Uh, but I feel like if you're going to end it with that and then you have to do a sequel... The sequel would be Emily Blunt and her kids going to find a way to spread this weapon that they've discovered, right? I I guess they just really liked that that plant, um, you know. I guess for a scene, she just hangs out there for the whole movie. Yeah, the idea of having a place where you could talk a bit lower, but. That you could talk lower but still not be heard by the monsters, a place which both has, and hey, this is great theming actually, and this is a good device of having something that is both that can both let you be as loud as you want, but also at the same time you stay there too long, it can be the thing that kills you. It's definitely a good like duality thing. Granted, a movie that's full of cool things isn't exactly a great movie if the pieces don't all work together very well. So, and I almost wonder if they're even going to bother to bring back the Abbott family for the third one, because I know Krasinski doesn't want to do a third. Yeah, I mean, I'd be fine with this. I'd be fine with this just being a part one and part two. Granted, would I want to watch a part three? Sure, out of curiosity. But if Krasinski is not going to be at the head of it, um, or Blunt's or Emily Blunt's not going to get a whole lot into it, then. What do you do? 
It's it's Paramount. They're gonna announce fourteen spinoffs and sixteen more sequels to this. Weird thing is, it doesn't seem like franchise material to me. It's, it's a, not. It's a decent like one shot, kind of like stretch into a two shot. That yeah. out of morbid curiosity, you could go for a third, but beyond that, there's not a whole lot you can do. It's a very it's so simple of a premise, but it's set in a very grounded world. It's not and, like Game of Thrones or. You know, and anything you you could do with that, at least that I can think of, we've seen a million times in any other post-apocalyptic uh, universe. Like, there's there's not that much here. It, they didn't do like much world building in the first one. It was about the characters, which is what made it great. But you keep ordering sequels, like you're going to stretch this premise so thin. When does it snap? It's already being stretched thin, though. I mean, granted, fortunately, it doesn't snap. But yeah, a sequel could be could be bad. My favorite, my favorite part is that they introduced that whole village of people for Killian and the little girl to meet, and they last a whole scene before the monsters just somehow show up and murder all of them. It's the whole thing about loud noise, I suppose, but. What what was the noise that drew, that brought them there? Well, I guess it would be the diving. I suppose. Um, I think it was that. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Um, it, it just felt like they wrote themselves into a corner there. Of well, why don't they just stay in this village because it's safe and protected? Oh, just kidding. No, it's not. Here's a monster. I don't know. Am I am I being too critical of this movie? Because I'm now I'm talking I mean, about all I, these issues are coming up. I will wonder if the savages are they are they smart enough to understand that the monsters can't swim, and if so, why do they not go on the boats? And if no, no, so, no, no. No, you're talking about the dock scene. I'm well, talking that, about that. I'm talking about the home with the guardians of the galaxy. Who? Uh, oh, that, oh, that guy. Yeah. Oh, that that too. Uh, uh, some of it falls apart, unfortunately. I was still entertained. The car- the performances are good. The effects are still as good as they were in the last movie. Um, it's an encouraging message to show, like, next generation kind of rising up to be able to take after the ones who, you know, reared them. So there is some good, decent theming here as well. Um... I was engaged more with it than part one, personally, because I think there was a bit more going on in terms of world building. Um, But then again, that's probably just my own personal taste coming coming into the mix. Is this objectively a better movie than the first part? Uh, Is it an objectively worse one? I don't know. What do you think? I See, I was all on this movie thinking it was about the same level as the first one. So we started talking about it. That's usually when it happens. I think it has problems more so than the first one. And I had questions on the first one rewatching it this time. Um, but overall, I still think this is a good movie. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is showing the seams very much so. So on Letterboxd, I gave this a 4 out of 5. Um, 
and I guess I'm just going to spoil it a little early because, again, this is a very simple premise, but it's started to stretch thin. Uh, I think this is a 3 out of 5 or 3.5 out of 5 at best. Mm. What about you, Milton? I'll give it a 3.5 out of 5. I did, I, hey, I enjoyed the movie. I'm not going to discount that, despite the fact that I think that the premise is starting to get wear a little thin. I still liked it. And it left me with an interest in seeing a sequel again, despite the fact that I don't think it's going to do very well. Um, but it's not impossible, though, for things to get wrapped up nicely. Things I agree. still work, but it's hard. I agree. Uh, I think if if they do one more, it could work, but that has to wrap this up. Uh, just don't do more after three. If you have to do three, call it call it wraps there. Yeah, the Quiet Place Part Six. This time it's even more quiet. I never watched Censor, but the poster looks cool. Oh, hey, what's up, Teddy? Uh, yeah, the poster was awesome, and uh, I love that idea for a Quiet Place Part Six. This time it's even more quiet, <laughs> or like quiet a, a silent place. A silent but deadly just, place. No, it's just a compl- oh that too. You know, that that would be part eight. But it's like a it's like a silent movie being black and white. You only get like the subtitle cards like in the middle. <laughs> I don't mm. know. Yeah. yeah. Um. Did you give it a rating? I'm sorry. Yeah, three point five. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with a three point five as well. I don't think three out of five is quite high enough. Um, but yeah, overall, pretty good week, but nothing nothing amazing, not like last week, where I think we had two really strong films. Uh, but yeah, thank you guys. Uh, oh, do just need to advise as well, starting next Saturday, we will be starting at 6.30, uh, just to help out with Milton's traveling schedule from work and back. And then tomorrow at around 7, we will be doing our Hellboy Volume 2 or the next two Hellboy stories, I guess volume two and three in a way, uh, review. So tune into that, and we will see you guys later. Thanks for watching.